In his meditations, the Stoic philosopher and Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius says, A man may any hour he pleases retire into himself, and nowhere will he find a place of more quiet and leisure than in his own soul, especially if he has that furniture within, the view of which immediately gives him the fullest tranquility. By tranquility I mean the most graceful order. Allow yourself continually this retirement and refresh and renew yourself. This episode of Physically Spiritual will explore solitude and quiet. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Welcome back to Physically Spiritual, everyone. As we get started, let's do our housekeeping. If you want to support everything we do here at Awaken Catholic, consider becoming a member of the Awaken Nation. The Awaken Nation is a community of patrons who give as little as the price of a cup of coffee a week to support everything we do here at Awaken Catholic. Go to awakencatholic.org forward slash donate. And when you do, you can select a show host and part of your gift will go to support a particular show here at Awaken Catholic. You can also get the full Awaken Catholic experience on the Awaken app. The brand new Awaken app can be found at theawakenapp.io or search the Awaken app on the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store and you can get access to a healthy alternative to social media, discussion boards from all the shows, a great experience of watching or listening to the shows, uh, music, prayer, and a whole lot more. Actually, that's probably about it. But download the Awaken app. We are also partners with Hollow. Hollow is a Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. To join Hollow with our partner link, go to hollow.app forward slash awaken. And if you want to find anything that I write or publish, go to becominggift.com. And if you want help and support uh, implementing any of the ideas from the show, consider becoming a part of my coaching or spiritual direction practice at becominggift.com. All right, so this episode of Awaken Catholic is about solitude. This episode of Physically Spiritual is about solitude and quiet. So as we get started, I want to revisit my two circles image. If you're just listening to the podcast, you can get access to these images um, on the show notes. On every episode, I try to leave detailed show notes that go through all the quotes that are given, any images or diagrams I refer to, links to any studies that I uh, make reference to. So if you want to go deeper on any episode, you can look up the show notes that go along with it on the Awakened Catholic site or my site. Uh, so this image of the two circles illustrates the area that I'm focusing on on these episodes. The season two of Physically Spiritual, we're going through a three-legged stool, the three legs that support our growth in becoming more like God. So they're the sacraments, leg number one. Leg number two is our prayer life. And leg number three is asceticism or the practice of giving things up, of mortifying the flesh in order to be free of attachments to let go of the things of the world, to become more attached to God. So in this idea of asceticism, though, physically spiritual is all about the intersection of physical health and spirituality. Uh, so I don't think asceticism and health are contradictory. 
I think there is a whole center, central area that's illustrated by this diagram where asceticism and health actually touch base. You know, our ascetical practices can go too far. We can actually harm ourselves, harm our body, or, or make a practice maybe out of uh, maybe some kind of mental illness we have or, or some excessive asceticism and, and damage our body. And that's not actually a good thing. That could be a form of rigorism. And on the other hand, if we just focus on our health, we can take that to an extreme too, where we're, um, where we're really serving the body and not the Lord, where we're just doing things to look good or to impress other people or to, to overcome uh, maybe some uh, body image problem we have or something like that. In the catechism, when people take their health to this far extreme, the catechism talks about a cult of the body or a worship of the body that we can fall into. So, so there's a virtuous mean in the middle where we're, um, we, we want to be healthy. We want to give our whole body, mind, and soul to the Lord. But we also need to perform asceticism to grow closer to the Lord, where we're doing things to mortify our flesh, giving things up, uh, bringing uh, intentional suffering into our life so that we can connect with Christ's sufferings. And I believe there's a space in the middle where asceticism and health connect. Right? There's a place where we can do things that are both healthy for us, that help us become a naturally healthier, heal our body, and at the same time, mortify our flesh and help us get closer to God. And this is our focus on these episodes of Physically Spiritual, where we focus on asceticism. So if you want to hear the beginning of this series, you can go back to episode four of season two for the introduction to this idea of asceticism. Or you could go back uh, a few episodes to episode uh, 31 or episode three, four, five, seven of season two for the episode on relationships, which was the first episode on asceticism. So these, these ascetical practices we're focusing on are, are two, you could think of them as pairs of ideas, three pairs of two ideas, and then one by itself. We're focusing on relationships and solitude, and then eating and fasting, resting and exercise, and then the seventh episode will be on stress. Uh, and, and each one of these uh, pairs of things, it, there's an, an intentional um, juxtaposition or, or uh or an antagonistic relationship between the two, right? How can both relationships being with other people be healthy and at the same time, solitude be healthy, being alone and being in the quiet be healthy? I want to propose uh, an idea to you that um, one of the things we can do is we can fight chronic problems. We can fight chronic stress, for example, by introducing acute stress into our life. Right, chronic meaning something that's ongoing, lingering, sort of gnawing or grinding on us. Right, in a lot of cases, chronic problems are are very bad for our health. But on the other hand, we can bring acute stress into our life, meaning particular stress that's targeted for a short period of time, done prudently. And what that acute stressor does is it stimulates growth in the body, it stimulates healing in the body, and I think also in the soul. Um, so, for example, with food. Um, it's healthy to eat. It's healthy to eat things that are healthful that give us uh, that give us health. But on the other hand, research is finding a lot of great benefits to fasting that really corroborate and and support the church's tradition of fasting. Uh, so it's uh, in the, the combination of both eating healthily, but then placing within the context of that eating times of not eating that are, are focused on allowing the body to heal and creating an acute stress that then stimulates healing and growth. So similarly here with relationships and with noise, uh, we're designed to be in community. 
We, we talked about this in the episode on relationships. We're designed to be connected. We're designed to be in relationship with others. From a natural perspective, we evolved in, in tribal contexts. But in the supernatural context, from the beginning, God proclaimed it's not good for man to be alone. And we're, we're designed to be in relationship with others in the church. And then our ultimate destiny is relationship with God and others in heaven. Right? So from a natural and a supernatural perspective, we're designed for communion. We're designed for relationship. But on the other hand, um, we're also called into times of solitude, into times of silence, into times of quiet, to disconnect from others in order to find the Lord and bring something new to them. Uh, so this episode will be focusing on this idea of solitude. I started out with this great quote from Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius, um, from the late Western Roman emperor, um, he wasn't a Christian. He was a Stoic philosopher, um, but a man of great virtue and a great man in history. And he wrote a book called The Meditations. It's actually a, um, a collection of his writings that were put together after his death. And in these meditations, he mentions this kind of quiet, this leisure in your own soul where we can find rest and tranquility. But in this quote, notice he mentioned this furniture that we're going to notice, uh, this furniture where there's a graceful order that we can refresh ourselves in this graceful order. So what he's referring to here is we have to have an order inside of ourselves. We have to have a, a, certain, um, a certain healing inside of ourselves so that when we go inside of ourselves, we find tranquility, we find quiet. Uh, there's another great quote uh, by a philosopher by the name of Blaise Pascal. And in his Pensees, he has a very famous quote, the section on diversion. He says, when I have occasionally set myself to consider the different distractions of men, the pains and perils to which they expose themselves at court or in war, whence arise so many quarrels, passions, bold and often bad ventures, I have discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, that they cannot stay in their own chamber, that they cannot stay quietly in their own chamber. I messed up the punchline. Sorry about that. So they cannot stay quietly in their own chamber. He's saying that is uh, what he thinks is the singular problem in society. So notice that he doesn't say that they don't stay quietly in their own chamber. He says they cannot stay quietly on their own, in their own chamber. Meaning there's something in our heart. There's a restlessness in us, uh, a loneliness in us that abhors the solitude, that can't stand the solitude. There's, there's an itch that we can't stand to be with, and it drives us out into the world. Uh, and when, when we're going out, out of this place of disconnection, this place of, of uh, loneliness, of restlessness, we don't actually connect with the world around us. We disconnect with the world around us. And this is what he's saying is, is these people going out into the world who can't sit quietly uh, with this restlessness, with this desperation, create chaos, create disorder, right? So the question is, what do we need to do to create an order in ourselves where we can find that leisure, that rest that Marcus Aurelius is talking about so that we can go out from that place uh, and bring order into the world, emanate tranquility, emanate peace in connection with others? Uh, how can we have acute times of solitude so that we can have uh, enduring connection so uh, he goes on later in the quote and says, why can't we sit quietly? So the, the answer isn't actually trying harder. 
It's in doing what's necessary to become capable of sitting quietly, right? How can we stay with pleasure? How can we enter solitude with pleasure? Uh, he, he finishes the section by, by, by saying, but on further consideration, when after finding the cause of all our ills, I have sought to discover the reason for it. I have found that there is one very real reason, namely the natural poverty of our feeble and mortal condition. So miserable that nothing can comfort us when we think of it closely. Right? He's saying there, there's this feebleness, this miserableness to our human condition. Right? And, and I hinted at that at the beginning, saying that we're naturally made for connection. Right? If, you, if you look at the human body, we're, we're wired to be connection with others. We're not designed to be alone. Uh, our nervous system, for example, co-regulates with other people. So when we're, when we're stressed out, when we're disconnected, other people who feel safe, who are comfortable, regulate us and calm us. We're designed to be radically dependent on others. Uh, but on the other hand, we need to, like I said, find this peace in ourselves so we can emanate it to others. Right? What's the difference? I know in my story, uh, there was a time in my life when I was in need of constant distraction and diversion. I remember my, uh, my life in high school after my initial conversion to Christianity looked something like this. I would wake up and I would have on maybe music or I would uh, watch a cartoon in the morning or something right away. Uh, and then I would go to school. We would have music on in the car. I would go through my school day pretty much distracted, lost in my head, uh, daydreaming, looking out the window, trying to talk to my friends. I would get home to a snack and to turn the TV on. And then I would top the evening off with a bunch of video games and I would fall asleep with the TV on. I watched cooking shows when I was in high school as I fell asleep at night and I would sleep with the TV on, right? My whole day was noise. And when there wasn't noise on the outside coming in my ears, there was noise on the inside. There was this chaos in my heart, uh, which actually made me fairly incapable of engaging with my classes, of paying attention. Um, I remember I, I started to find some ability to have solitude in junior high because I started reading. I started reading books. And I remember pr pronouncing, um, it was midway through my eighth grade year, I, I went home and I, and I told my parents, um, you know, school's pretty easy when you pay attention. <laughs> pretty obvious, right? Um, but I think I, I, I needed to learn how to pay attention. And the capacity to listen starts with the ability to be quiet, to be silent. I remember in college, uh, having this internal restlessness, uh, dorm life, uh, for whatever reason, I didn't have, um, uh, my, the roommate that I started college with, um, didn't finish the school year with me. And then, uh, later on when I was, I was in seminary for four years, I had a room to myself. And I remember in that room, just experiencing this restlessness. And when I was there by myself, I felt this drive to get out of my room and be with other people. I couldn't be by myself and it actually hurt my studies at times. I couldn't, um, I couldn't read all my assignments. I couldn't prepare for my tests properly. I ended up having to, to cram uh, in the last minute to get a lot of my papers done. And it was driven by this internal restlessness and it wreaked havoc in some of my relationships. I remember this uh, very close friend whom uh, we did a lot of things together for years. And I remember this time when I, I went down the hall and knocked on his door he opened the door, saw me, and then closed it again, <laughs> right? Because my need to be around him was so disruptive to his life uh, that he just needed to, to shut me out, to study, to be alone, to find some quiet and peace. 
right? I was bringing chaos into our relationship because I had chaos inside of me. Uh, this this deeper chaos, I, I, I first noticed um, how to break out of it from two experiences where I had opportunities to go to monasteries. Once I, I was able to go to uh, the Trappist Monastery in Gethsemane, Kentucky, um, right outside of Bardstown, Kentucky. It's where um, the monk Thomas Merton lived. And I remember going on the property and just being struck. Number one, it was quiet. It's in a rural area, right? There's, it's far enough off the road, you don't even really hear cars go by. But there was this silence around the monastery that was deeper than quiet, right? It was this internal order that emanated out from the monks into the atmosphere, and then I also had an opportunity to go to Our Lady of the Angels Monastery, um, where the poor clairs of perpetual adoration live um, in Cloister. That was the monastery where, where Mother Angelica uh, was the, um, the Mother Superior for many years. And I remember being in the chapel where they have perpetual adoration of the Blessed Sacrament and just experiencing this peace there. Right, Even though I had very limited interaction with these religious, um, the ordering in their life and the peace of their heart emanated out from them into the, the pilgrims that would go there. Um, and, and this experience looking back was important for me um, because what it, it taught me was that I was missing something, right? I didn't even realize it because it was the sort of the soup I, I was cooked in. That, that noise was uh, the life that I led throughout my childhood. So I didn't know any better. So there's something different uh, between quiet and silence, there's something different between quiet and silence. And this is uh, what all these people are talking about. Quiet, just the lack of external noise is important, but it's really just the raw material. Silence comes from an internal ordering of all of the faculties of our soul, meaning our, our memory, our imagination, our, our reason, and our will. Right? So there's an internal order to my, my faculties. And so when I go inside of myself, I find order, I find peace. Otherwise, when I go inside of myself, my mind is going all over the place and I find chaos. Uh, so this implies that there's also a difference between loneliness and solitude, right? There's an aloneness that's disconnected, an aloneness that's restless, an aloneness that, um, that demands to be filled, but there's also an aloneness that is connected, an aloneness that's full, and an aloneness that that's comfortable, and that's solitude. Um, so when we're digging into this topic, we're going to hold these um, these two ideas juxtaposed. So as we do this, I want to pull up the chart of the faculties of the soul that we've talked about in other episodes, so I can talk a little bit more about what this looks like. So the faculties of the soul, starting from the bottom. Uh, we have our our external senses, our seeing, our hearing, our smelling, our tasting, our touching, right? So, so quiet is literally removing all of the things from these senses that could be a distraction, primarily hearing. Um, and then we have our internal senses of memory, imagination, our estimative, estimative sense, our, or our power of judgment, and then our common sense, which knits all of these various inputs together. Right, so I experience, uh, although I have all these separate senses, we can define them separately, my experience is singular, and this is because my common sense uh, knits together all my five external senses and my four internal senses as, a, as one experience. So this, this, uh, all of these experiences have with them passions, 
meaning everything I experience, I'm either attracted to or repulsed by. Uh, and so on the next column of the chart, we see these passions, these appetites of these senses. So uh, toward things that are difficult, I have concupiscible senses or irascible senses. I experience hope or despair, daring, daring or fear or anger. And toward things that are attractive, I have concupiscible senses. I experience love or hatred, desire or aversion, joy or sorrow. So when we experience this internal disorder, this internal restlessness, what's happening from the perspective of the faculties of the soul are that I'm experiencing things in my senses that are causing passions in me, which I find, uh, which I find uh, very difficult to be with, right? I, f- I find them unbearable, right? So maybe I have something in my memory that's playing, like um, I'm remembering a conversation that I had with a friend that I, I regret what I said, or I regret how that went. And so I experience this sorrow around this, or maybe this fear around it, around the consequences of it, or how I affected that person, right? I experience these passions in me, or maybe it's my imagination, right? I enter inside myself and I start imagining all of these false futures, right? What's going to happen at work tomorrow, or or how uh, my spouse is going to react to X, Y, or Z. And then I, I get all of these negative passions around this thing that I'm imagining, uh, and this is where this internal restlessness comes from. This is ultimately, I believe, where loneliness comes from, is that when we look inside ourselves, um, we find disconnection, we find disorder. And so our our passions are all over the place. So what happens then is that affects our will, right? It, it, it pushes me out. It pushes me into what some um, psychologists call a seeking mode, where I'm out seeking something uh, to numb that feeling, something to distract myself, uh, whether it be um, entertainment or food or or something else that gives me pleasure, right? Whatever it might be, or maybe even sleep, <laughs> sleeping a bunch. Um, so whatever it is, I'm driven outward away from myself. Um, so when we talk about these passions, uh, a lot of mental health and the perspective of mental health are very strongly affected by Buddhist ideas. And one of the core tenets of, of Buddhism is that um, is that one of the biggest problems in the world are our passions, right? It's it's the passions themselves which are the problem. So so they seek uh, they seek uh, fulfillment, they seek peace by eradicating the passions or ignoring the passions. But but in any case, the idea is to do away with these movements that draw us here, there, and everywhere else. This isn't the Christian idea. The Christian idea is that when we're redeemed, when we're ordered, what we experience are passions that draw us toward God and toward our ultimate fulfillment. So we don't eradicate our our passions. We seek for the redemption of our passions. And while in this life, uh, this is never completed perfectly, uh, it's part of the journey to have all of our passions and attachments and relationships healed and redeemed. So we're not called to do away with these passions we're called to find ordering in these passions. So let's uh, dig in here and talk about solitude and silence on a natural level. Uh, when we look at the idea of noise from a natural level, researchers have actually discovered that in certain contexts, noise hurts. Uh, the World Health Organization did a massive environmental study around uh, Western and Northern Europe. And this is what they said. 
that environmental noise leads to a disease burden that is second in magnitude only to that from air pollution. One in three people experience annoyance during the daytime, and one in five has disturbed sleep at night because of noise from roads, railways, and airports. This increases the risk of cardiovascular disease and high blood pressure. Right, So it's literally saying people are having more heart attacks. Uh, they're having higher blood pressure because of noise in our environment, noise that is either bothering people during the day or while they're trying to sleep at night. Right? How do we make sense of this? In a few episodes, we're going to talk some about sleep and we'll really dig into this idea. But uh, there's a massive correlation between poor sleep or being underslept in chronic disease, all chronic diseases, cancer, dementia, heart disease, kind of being the big three. But going along with that, the underlying things we see in common of these diseases, things like obesity and um, insulin resistance, uh, inflammation, uh, all of this goes along with being underslept or poorly slept. Uh, so it's it's very harmful to have this noise keeping us in shallow levels of sleep or constantly, uh, constantly disturbing our sleep. But these daytime annoyances are also very harmful too. If you go back to episode 12 of Physically Spiritual uh, entitled The Tiger in Your Inbox, I introduce an idea called polyvagal theory. It's a theory introduced by uh, Dr. Stephen Porges, a researcher. And this is what he had to say in his uh, 2011 work and in other published works. He says, our nervous system is constantly being stimulated by the acoustic environment in which we live. Acoustic environment is just a fancy way of saying noise. While we feel calm and safe while listening to some sounds, other sounds alert us to danger or life threat. Some responses to sounds are learned through associations with negative and positive experiences, while others are hardwired into our nervous system. The acoustic features of sound that trigger these hardwired reactions has been described in the polyvagal theory. Um, so this is... Uh, what he's saying here is that every noise in our environment is affecting our nervous system and our autonomic nervous system is, is shifting to our environment in a pre-conscious way, either in that it feels safe so we can connect with other people, our body can rest and digest and heal, or we feel unsafe, either in danger or in life threat, in which case we're, we become primed to disconnect from our environment become attuned to what's on the periphery so that we can avoid something dangerous that's coming at us. And the body then prioritizes the systems that will keep us safe, like our ability to move um, and shut down things that are quote unquote less important like digestion. <laughs> um, so keeping this in mind, and, and one of the things I started with this idea of um, fighting chronic stress with acute stress. So we're, we're sort of designed to deal with acute stress pretty well, right? I, I might encounter something very difficult, but if I'm in connection with other people and that difficult thing passes and then I'm with others and feel safe, it doesn't actually cause trauma, right? It's something that my nervous system can release that energy, uh, can return back to a normal state and I very quickly heal from any danger and any um, damage that was caused from that acute stressor. But chronic stress is something that we're actually not as well designed to handle. And so much of what we face in our modern environment uh, 
has removed us from the acute stressors that we used to face. So, so we live in, in very well, um, sort of well-moderated environments where we don't really get into things that are very hot or very cold. We don't end up really stressing our bodies through exercise. Um, we don't uh, face uh, acute stress throughout the day where we're face, ever facing anything that's really dangerous for us. Um, so we're living this very safe life. But on the other hand, we, we're also very chronically stressed, um, both because uh, the environment we place ourselves in isn't appropriate for um, the conditions that have created our biology to be what it is. And then at the same time, um, I'm encountering things that I'm not really designed to handle very well. And I give the example in that previous, uh, email, in that previous episode of your email inbox, <laughs> right? Are, are, we, are we able to deal with the stress of getting a difficult email, right? I get that email and I start thinking about what the problem is. Remember, we're wired for connection. So I want to stay connected to whoever I'm talking to on the other side of that message. I send off a response um, and then I wait, right? In, in normal communication with another person, I'm, I'm immediately getting facial cues. My nervous system is reacting to their nervous system. So I'm getting this immediate feedback loop as I'm relating to others. But as I'm, as I'm relating to people through electronic medium, I'm both not getting that feedback loop in my nervous system. And then I'm also not getting immediate feedback. So there's this space, this lingering disconnection, this lingering uncertainty that creates chronic stress. And, and we're all sort of in this soup. We're all sort of in this environment where we're dealing with this chronic stress. So what Dr. Porges is referring to here about these noises, so uh, both by training, right? If there's certain things in your history, in your past, from your story that were difficult associated with certain sounds, it might be a certain tone of voice, a certain song, the noise of a certain environment, then that can trigger uh, the, your uh, sympathetic nervous system uh, in life and when you feel danger or can send you all the way down into like a freeze state uh, if you feel like there's a life threat from that, putting you in a state of chronic stress. On the other hand, there's also hardwired sounds, meaning we've evolved biologically to have a, a built-in wisdom about our environment where certain sounds trigger danger regardless of our past experiences. So one of the, the things that Dr. Porges talks about are these ambient sounds in our environment. And he talks about uh, like deep pitched hums, maybe from like an air conditioning system or a compressor motor or something like that. And how these hums actually sort of simulate the growl of a predator. So we can be in environments in our schools, in our hospitals, in our homes, where there's an ambient sound in our environment that will chronically put us in a state in a minor state of fight flight where we can't heal. Uh, and so he argues that we need to start priming these environments like our hospitals, our schools, our homes, um, that we, we consider these, these built in aspects of our biology so that we can be primed to heal so that we can be primed to feel safe so that we can be primed to be comfortable. Research has also found that silence can heal, right? We're going to get back to this idea of acute stress. Um, so there, there was a study done that, that found that silence promotes neurogenesis, that two hours of silence can stimulate um, new neur, uh, neurons in the brain. Um, and so what they found was they, they put these, these rats in different sound environments. One was like just a white noise, kind of like noise that we would expect, 
Uh, and sometimes people fall asleep with white noise, but white noise can be kind of relaxing, right? Just imagine if we lived out in nature, there'd be a constant rustling of leaves and, and certain sounds from animals that we don't really find dangerous. And so it wouldn't stress us out at all. And then they also put in environmental sounds that you would expect, like maybe the sound of a, of a baby crying or something like that. And they juxtaposed this with a, a group of mice that where they, where they created an absolute sound deprivation environment, right, where there was no sound. And what they found is when there was no sound, it actually created stress in the brain. Uh, but when this, when this stress was then removed and then they looked at these mice's brains, they found that it stimulated growth, it stimulated healing, right? There was an, a period of an acute stress that when done in moderation and then taken away, stimulated a certain growth in the body, a certain healing in the body, the same way that we're finding that, that fasting does when done in moderation in the right context. And I would argue too, that's the same thing that's happening when we're exercising. We're putting an acute stress on the body um, that then stimulates growth and healing. So silence heals. Let's shift and look at silence and solitude from the supernatural perspective. Uh, I mentioned earlier that from the beginning, God said it was not good for man to be alone. But reflecting on uh, the creation story before this, John Paul II, um, in his great teaching that sometime called the theology of the body, talked about original solitude, that humanity was alone amongst the created order, like God, having a reason and will and created to become a communion of persons. This is what he said on uh, November 14th of 1979 in his general audience. He said, the communion of persons could form itself only on the basis of a double solitude of the man and the woman, or as an encounter in their distinction from the world of living beings, which gave to both the possibility of being and existing in particular reciprocity. So the communion of persons, this deep intimacy, this connection that Adam and Eve had was only possible because they came to each other from a posture of a double solitude, right? So, so on a philosophical level, they were alone amongst the created order, capable of communion in a way that God is in communion, uh, so capable of love, capable of becoming gift. Um, but on the other hand, there was also, I, I believe, a place where, where their togetherness was full because they also had time of being alone with the Lord, Right? It's from Adam's solitude with the Lord that then he proclaimed at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Right? There's this, this reciprocal finding of one another uh, that, that flows out of communion with the Lord and the peace and ordering of the heart. Uh, this is what um, uh, St. John of the Cross says about this kind of solitude with the Lord. From his sayings of life and love, uh, paragraph 132, he says, what we need most in order to make progress is to be silent before this great God with our appetite and with our tongue for the language he best hears is silent love, right? So, so what's most important when we're getting closer to God, when we're seeking communion with the Lord is spending time in silence with God. Uh, and he mentions the appetite and with the tongue. So there we have quiet, the tongue, no noise, 
And also then quieting the internal senses. It's not just a constant talking in your head, but then also a, a silence in the appetite, right? Literally a silence in your passions, a silence in your feeling, these internal attractions and repulsions in your heart. The language he best hears is silent love is what he says, or what's sometimes referred to as heart to heart conversation, right? This, my heart meeting the Lord's heart, um, so it's from this place of finding silence with the Lord that we find this peace, this ordering, this connection, this healing that brings us closer to the Lord. Catechism paragraph 2717 says, contemplative prayer is silence. The symbol of the world to come or silent love. Words in this kind of prayer are not speeches. They are like kindling that feeds the fire of love. In this silence, unbearable to the outer man, the Father speaks us his incarnate word, who suffered, died, and rose. In this silence, the spirit of adoption enables us to share in the prayer of Jesus. So in silence, we share in the prayer of Jesus. If you read the Gospels, what you find is over and over and over again, uh, Jesus goes off by himself and prays, and he seeks out places of solitude. He goes into the desert. He goes off on the top of a mountain into a garden. Uh, sometimes he brings his friends with him to be in solitude with him, right, to be quiet with him. Other times he goes off by himself, and there he communes with God. Right? He seeks the, his father in prayer. And this is a model for us. Uh, I remember in a men's group um, that I was a part of, we used to talk about Moses' time. If you read the story of, of Moses similarly, uh, a lot of times Moses would leave the people so that he could go off and talk to the Lord, and then he would come back from these conversations with God with something to offer the people. Right? He found this order. Uh, so the first example is going off and getting the Ten Commandments. He goes off into the solitude, and God gives him the law. And what the law is is God reintroducing his original plan, his original order. God's reintroducing his logos to the world by teaching them how to be human again, right? This is what the Ten Commandments is. And then, and then throughout the story in Exodus, Moses is, is leaving the people, and then the story of Deuteronomy, coming back with the Lord's words, refreshed. Uh, there's a time when he comes back and his face is glowing with the radiance of the Lord, or, or coming back with the law in the book of Deuteronomy. So Moses goes off in solitude, and in that solitude, he comes back uh, with something to offer the people. And we propose this as a model of, of being uh, a man in, in, in our world, of being a father of a family, of being a husband to a wife, of being a, a priest, is that you go off into the solitude to find the Lord and to face yourself, to find an, an ordering in your heart so that you can go back to your family, go back to your church, Go back to your spouse, to your friends, your studies, or whatever it is that you're engaged with, and you can bring order into it. You can bring God into it. You can bring peace into the world because you have it inside of yourself. Um, we called it Moses time. Make sure you get your Moses time in. Um, so uh, let's do a few practicals on how we can accomplish this in our life. So the first practical suggestion I have is to make space for silence. Make space for it. The noise in our world will encroach on your life. So if you don't do intentional things to find the silence, you won't. It won't be there. 
Maybe you literally have nowhere to be quiet. You live in a busy city. Well, you could get noise canceling headphones and put them on or, or like uh, the earmuffs that people use when they mow their lawn or something like that, literally blocking out the noise in your environment. Um, I have a space set up in my basement <laughs> where I go and pray and meditate because I know when I'm down there, uh, it's very unlikely anyone else is going to come down. I can find peace in silence. So make space, but also schedule the silence. If you can't find the same time every day, maybe use Google Calendar or something like that. Put an appointment in your calendar for silence. So then when your friend friends are making plans or when something comes up for work, there's something already there. You're busy, right? You need that silence. So the second thing is eliminate noise. Literally get rid of things that make noise. Throw them in the trash. Like, I think the world would be a better place if we all took our TVs and threw them away. <laughs> we don't need it. Um, you know, downgrade your phone. I use a, a phone called a light phone. It doesn't have apps. It just has features. I don't want the noise. I don't want a phone that demands my attention, that, that draws my, my mind and my heart away from what I want to be doing with my life. Um, I, I always wanted to learn piano. And this has been a recent thing, so I hope it continues on. Um, I had opportunities for piano lessons as a child that I never took advantage of. I, um, but over the last few months since I've been using this phone, I finally have space in my life to start teaching myself piano. And I've been almost every day sitting down and playing the piano for a little while. You know, I had to make space in my heart to do that. I couldn't just force it in. And the first 34 years of my life were a testament to that. The third thing is become present. Once you're in the silence, become present because you'll get rid of the outside noise. And what happens is you have this chaos in your mind and heart, a chaos in your memory and your imagination. So one of the best ways to fight that internal chaos is to become present to what's there. And you start by just noticing what's in your environment. Ground yourself in your environment. Notice uh, find things that are around you that are pleasant to look at, like maybe a picture that you like. Maybe you can see some trees and you like nature. Maybe just looking at the blank wall for a little bit of uh, distraction detox for a moment. Uh, then go inside yourself. Notice the sensations in your body, right? Is there some part of your body that's uncomfortable that's calling out for your attention? Is there something in you that feels good that you can rest on and, and note the comfort in? And then go inside of your your feelings. Note your emotion. Are you comfortable? Are you uncomfortable? Are you afraid of something? Are you, are you peaceful? Are you joyful? Um, are you angry? Uh, and then go even deeper and note what's going on in your imagination, right? what's coming up in your memory, what's your internal train of consciousness trying to present to you. Become present to those things so that, one, maybe there is something really important you should notice, in which case maybe you just need to write it down and set it aside. Maybe just giving it a little bit of attention and making a commitment about it can help you to move on. Maybe you just had some bad Chinese food at lunch and you're going to be a little uncomfortable <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about that until a few hours later when it goes through your system, right? But becoming present to what is um, and, and noticing it and resting with it for a bit can help you to move past it. Uh, I've heard these internal sensations being um, compared before to little children who are trying to get your attention. They're, all your little needs um, are trying to, to push their way into your consciousness. So if you just sit down and try to push it all away, 
what happens is they just keep bubbling back to the surface and pushing their way into your thoughts and into your mind. So become present to what is. Fourth is limit your inputs. This is a little different than eliminating noise. Limiting your inputs means literally limiting the amount of ways that people and things can get your attention. <laughs> right? So if you have a phone with a messaging app and with a calling feature and with email and with a, a handful of other apps, and then you have all these notifications set up that ding you, what's happening is all day you're getting this input. Ding, ding, ding. Somebody sent me a message. Somebody called me. Uh, this app wanted me to get my attention on something. I'm getting these emails, and every time it's dinging me. And what happens is it draws me out of whatever I'm doing to pay attention to what's come in. Uh, so we have this constant flow of inputs in our life. So you might limit input by doing something like intentionally checking your email two or three times a day, and then for the rest of the day not looking at it at all. Um, intentionally turning off the notifications in your phone, maybe disabling all the apps which aren't essential, right? The things that you don't need to know when it comes up, they're not urgent. And other times silencing even the notifications that are essential. I highly recommend that when you go to prayer or when you try to meditate, to have a clock there or a timer there so you don't have to use your phone as your clock or your timer. Because if this is there, if your phone is there, then it will become a distraction. It's too attractive. We're not designed to not look at something that's so interesting. Um, so, so you're not going to be able to resist it at all times. You shouldn't expect um, your body to be able to do that. So, um, so limit your inputs so that you can find the quiet, so that you can find the peace. And we all have different inputs, right? If you want to know what inputs to get rid of, uh, for the next week, every time you try to pray and meditate, just pay attention to what's pushing its way into your consciousness. Maybe it's limiting your input from an unhealthy relationship or a friend that demands your attention in an un unhealthy way. Maybe it's a, a TV show that you can't get out of your head. Maybe it's um, maybe it's something that's going on at work. You need to find a way to, to detox from your job before you go home or something like that. Um, but whatever way it is, limit your inputs. And then the final idea, which I hinted at earlier, was journaling. Journaling. Get the stuff out of your head and onto paper. Right? There's, there's something therapeutic about doing this, and a lot of research actually points to the positive benefits of journaling. Um, so uh, distance yourself from your thoughts so you can consider them. Putting things on paper um, changes the reality of them. There's, there's a permanence to it, a reliability to it, now your mind doesn't have to feel like it holds on to it. Actually, your, your consciousness, your memory, isn't designed to hold on to a bunch of stuff all at the same time. It, it's really only capable of holding on to one to a few things for short periods of time. But for me to, 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 uh, to learn something and then try to hold on to it for like tomorrow at noon... That's a very difficult thing for the human brain to try to accomplish, and it creates a lot of stress. So it's important to have a system where you can put things aside so they're there when you need them, but not there when you don't. And I have a whole system at work that I do this. It's, um, there's a, an information management system called GTD, or getting things done. And the idea is how do you create a system um, where everything is where it needs to be, and then we'll present itself to you when you need to know it, but then when you don't need it, it's not there, so your mind can focus on what you need to do. And then when you're not at work, 
you can have peace that it's all going to be there when you get back. You don't have to remember anything. So journal, get the stuff out of your head. Uh, and in all of this, uh, the goal is ultimately connection, right? We don't go off by ourselves for the sake of being alone. We find solitude for the sake of being connected to ourselves at peace, connected to God, who, who's the giver of peace. And then we go out from the silence to be connected with others. Um, and in the silence, uh, we give ourselves a fighting chance to find it. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.